God is here today. Where his people are, that's where God is. <laughs> God is where his people are. That's just the way he does things. God could have done his kingdom any way he wanted. He could have made us serve him. He could have created this world any way he wanted. But the way his kingdom works is that he chose to do through us. Chose the weakest, smallest, youngest, most lacking. Those are the ones that he chooses because who gets the glory? Only him. You know, today is our one-year anniversary. I'm thinking all week, we made it, made it. But really, you made it. You made it. This is God's house. You know, I'm just, I'm really excited to get into what he's got for me today because it's been speaking to me about even the name of our church doesn't have a name. I mean, it is. It's incorporated as no name church. But it was very significant because in 2014, with just a few people at my dining room table, I don't know why, I'm just driving to work one day and I'm meditating with the Lord and I just started to see myself. This guy was questioning me in this little vision. He says, what do you mean you don't have a name? It's, isn't no name still a name? Isn't that ironic? And so anyway, it was just an interesting experience. I came to our Bible study that Tuesday night at my dining room table. Linda Eck couldn't make it, but she called in to say, I don't know why this matters, but whatever we're doing, I feel like the Lord says, don't call it anything. I was blown away. Now, Jean Molinaire here said the same exact thing. He said, that's exactly what I was thinking. Now, in the moment that it happened in 2014 at my dining room table, it was amazing, but then it's like, okay. Let's move on with our Bible study because it's just a few of us at our table. I mean, what it, you know, it was amazing revelation, but we didn't think that it meant anything more than that. Just that we're going to gather and that's, you know, it was, a, it was symbol to what we do, that it's outside of the, uh, no offense to this, the establishment church. We had no issues with it, but just that we're in our home and then that's okay with God. And then something very interesting happened the same year within just a few months. I'm flipping through the Word and just doing my daily reading. And I'm finishing up the book of Romans. And as I'm coming through Romans, I come to chapter 16. And I wasn't looking for this. It just was there. And it struck me. And it says in verse 5 of chapter 16 in Romans... Paul, is, he spends an entire page just saying, greet these people, greet those ones, greet this one, you know, make sure you say hello to that church, make sure you say hello to them. And then he says, and give my greetings to the church that meets in their home. 
And what was so amazing was, is that when I read it, it just was like, whoosh, like God does sometimes, man, he just catches you right then and there, just struck me. And like I said, we weren't opposed to the establishment of church that way. It was just that life had happened and we ended up, we just, we were having church together. It wasn't a lack of gathering together. We weren't flipping about God. We were seeking him more than ever in some ways. But the Lord wanted to tell us that we were church. And I thought, again, same thing. Okay, amazing, amazing revelation. But I never, ever, imagined this. Now, the big church would look at our little corner place without a sign, meeting in a building like whatever. To me, this is huge because only in 2014, there was four or five of us at a dining room table. And the Lord established right then and there, you are my church. And that's why the church is his people. This building is not the church. This building, we were talking about it yesterday, actually burned down twice. We're not going to speak anything. Thank you, Lord, for your blessing on this building. But if it were to burn down, the church didn't go away, only the building. We are his church. And now we roll into summer of 2015 and the very obvious thing to do, just because of the amount of people coming, seeking the Lord, was just to have a bigger place. That was it. It was so simple, so natural. And we opened the doors, and then God did started changing it, started rearranging it, started making this thing something just way bigger already. He's just been changing us this year. It's been unreal for me. And now, because it's been a year, now because of those steps, now I have to go back to what he said in 2014 when he says, I don't want you to call it anything. Linda called in and says, the Lord, I feel like the Lord says, don't call it anything. And now that makes, needs to make more sense for who we are in our future than ever before. We've gone through the year of, you know, first year like of marriage, you know, who's been there? You know, you have honeymoon part of it, yeah, that's great. You also have some things that you weren't ready for, some unexpected things. Now, we had a baby in our first year, so we had a real interesting first year of marriage. That's, that's, that's life, isn't it? But it's been like that, so God has done some amazing, amazing things. It's, you have amazing things that you're going through, and you also have low times where you need to decide, hey, we got married. This thing's for real. We're going to push through this thing because we care about each other. And it's the same thing with this church. So, but then you, then you start saying, okay, it's been a year now. You know, what do we want in life? Where do we want to go? What's this and et cetera? And, you know, what do we want in each other? Or what's our children's plan? And you're going to talk about some of those things before, but now it's a reality because you're together. Well, when we're at church and when we're God, we don't do much of that planning, but we're going to him and saying, Lord, what do you want? What, is, what do you have for this place? Who are we? And I feel like I needed to go back to what he spoke about us before we were anything. No namers, nobodies, the small, the little, 
the insignificant, the ones who had no right to meet around a dining room table. You had no right to have your Bible study in your house, Tony. Who gave you that right? That little tiny room. And I just feel like the Lord, you know, the Lord's, his Bible is filled with that story. It's filled with no namers. He takes you from nothing, and he, if you submit, and if you're willing, and obedient, and you stay with his plan, his word is filled with story after story after story of nobodies, the insignificant, who became kings. Kings. Maybe I'm the only one excited about that today. <laughs> Mariah, can we put up the book of James, chapter 5? In James, chapter 5, another book, he's closing some things, and he's, he's trying to get them to, he says, pray. He says, pray. You need to be a people that pray, and it's not about you. It's about the type of prayer. It's about fervent prayer. And it says in James chapter 5, verse 17, it says, Elijah was as human as who, who is? As who? As we are. And yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years in 18 and then when he prayed, who? He, just like us, a human, just like us, just somebody, a nobody, a no-namer, who gave him the right except God. He's just a guy who decided to get a hold of his God. And he prayed again, and the sky sent down rain, and the earth began to yield its crops. Lord, sent me here today to encourage you. Tony says many times, we're like the misfit toys. I like that. I like that. That's his Bible. I told Dawn, I was like, you know, you always, when I'm preaching, uh, before I'm preaching, I say, you know, I'm working some things out in my spirit, working things out in, in you know, in my notes. And I said I wasn't going to say it, but I said, if I do, it's the spirit of God. And here we go. If you think you're somebody and you think you got something, Tony's smiling. It's time to get those knees a little dirty because God's going to humble you. God takes you at your weakest. That's why the third world, why do they see so many miracles? You ever wonder that? We wonder it all the time and we have come up with all these answers because the people have nothing. They're literally so utterly desperate for anything. And here comes this little missionary along that says, I've got something for you. I've got a miracle for you. When we're desperate, when we shed us, when we get rid of us, when we seek him like Elijah did, just normal people. If you think that God's going to make you Superman first before he'll use you, just 
go to the funeral home and start getting your things ready because you're going to end up there and never have done it. He's going to take you at your weakest, lowest, worst time in your life and start doing things in you, calling you. Because that's the time when we say, okay, I give up, I surrender. The last two weeks, I preached on thy will be done. We did part one and part two. His will be done. And I wanted to go right into this week, our one-year anniversary, as a no-namer. You need to have the establishment of thy will be done. And when you do, he'll take that no-namer. And when you pray, things start happening. He doesn't need a name. And if you think that we need to try to become something or be something before you get God's attention, again, just go to that prayer closet. That's all he needs. His word is filled with it. And I just want to give you a few characters. I don't want to keep you long today. I know we have a nice day planned for everybody without rain, right? In Jesus' name. So I just want to give you a few characters. I mean, you could just, we could start at Genesis and go all the way through. It's the same story. But I love John the Baptist because John the Baptist was right before Christ. And I want to believe there's been so much of it today. We grew up thinking that he's coming back soon. I mean, I preached weeks ago, it's healthy living to believe that anyway. They believed it, you know, 2,000 years ago. They said to Jesus, now? Well, he, was, he hadn't even left this earth yet, and they were expecting. It's healthy living to be expectant. And if that's the case, John the Baptist was one and says that he prepared the way of the Lord. Right before Jesus comes on the scene, John the Baptist is on the scene. And Jesus says of John the Baptist, he says, he was a prophet, yes, but he was way more than a prophet. He says, of all who have ever lived, whoever was born, there's never been anybody born that was greater than John the Baptist. But listen to what John says of himself. That was God's view of John the Baptist. But John said of himself in the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verse 30, he must increase and I must decrease. He must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. Jesus said of the greatest man, not just prophet, he agreed. Any argument here, this guy's a prophet. There's no argument. I ended that when I said yes. This is Jesus speaking. But he, to me, as the Son of God, was the greatest man who's ever been born. And yet John says, all I want is Jesus. All I want to do is bring him glory. All I want to do is prepare the way for him. See, the greatest in the whole Bible said, I just want to get as low as I can. I'm nobody. I'm nothing. In fact, you think the greatest would be riding around. I have no opposition to a Bentley. If you want to donate one to me, that's fine. No opposition to a jet on the airport. You can, we could donate that as well. 
but you might expect the greatest man who ever lived to be driving around in a Bentley and flying in a jet. And yet it says of him, Jesus says, you didn't go out there looking for him dressed in king's clothes. It says he was in the wilderness in Matthew 3. And then in verse 4, that his clothes were woven from coarse camel hair. Now it's not in style today, although Uggs, are in style on your feet for whatever reason. I don't know, lady, sorry. <laughs> but they are. But camel's hair was not in style then either. His clothes were woven from coarse camel's hair and he wore a leather belt around his waist and for food he ate filet mignon and lobster tails because that's what the greatest who ever lived would eat. John the Baptist was a weird guy. Do you get, you know, I was telling Dawn, you know, we, for, we skim over so much in the Bible because when you're first, you first start reading it, you're just getting like, wow, this Jesus, it's amazing. And you read it and you get the story. And then the more you read it, over time, like one word starts jumping out. Like, why do they have to tell us how he was dressed and what he ate? Does it affect his gospel? Why is it in there? The point is, if it's in there, it's important. And the point is, hey, the greatest who ever lived, who prepared the way of the Lord, was a weirdo. Jesus was weird to them. They didn't understand him. It's okay to be weird. We are legal aliens. We're not illegal aliens. Ooh, that's a touchy thing out there today. As this goes on in the podcast, I'm going to get all people turning it off right now. We're aliens. We're just, we're legal. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, it says, we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. We, we don't get our status our identity, everything we are, is opposite. It's, I love how, um, her name will come to me, Missy Edwards said it. It's the inside, outside, upside down kingdom. He looks at the heart instead of the surface. The greatest shall be the least, the least shall be the greatest. Those who are, have done amazing, prepares the way the Lord are eating. I mean, you think the Lord could have spared a cow out there in the wilderness for him? God's ways, it says in Isaiah, right? It says in Isaiah 55, 8, my thoughts. I love how the NLT says this. Isaiah 55, 8 says, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts. It says, my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. In 1 Peter 2, verse 11, it says, Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. And in John 17, verse 16, Jesus talking about us, talking about his disciples, he said, 
They do not belong to this world any more than I do. God's ways, God's kingdom is not like this world. It's weird. Actually, it's normal. We're weird. We were just talking about, I'm not going to identify the cultures because that's irrelevant, but we were just talking the other day about some cultures. You know, America is just filled with so many different cultures, and they bring the clothing and the food and everything with them here. Like, it's the... It's a nation in the world where when you move here, like you bring your country with you. It's odd to me, but that's, you know, that's the land we're in. But anyway, I'm not going to identify the culture, like I said. But the reality is, is that they're looking at us like, what do you, that's weird. What are those things on your legs that you call pants? Why do you wear those? Don't you feel uncomfortable and restricted, especially in those, Adam? That's what they're saying to me. And I'm saying, man, you got a sheet on you. You could go get that from BJ's for $50, what you're wearing. Just wrap a belt around it. And the point is, God's kingdom is actually not weird. It's weird to us because we're looking through these eyes. They missed John the Baptist. They missed Jesus because they looked through these eyes. And it says... And 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, it says, The message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction, but we, which is us, who are being saved, know it is the very power of God. You are never, ever going to convince this world that Jesus is not foolish, not until the lights turn on. Not until something spiritual, and if you know him, you know what happened to you. You heard it, and you heard it, and you heard it. Maybe it was once, maybe you heard it a lot, but then something just clicks in you, and it became a spiritual thing, an encounter with God. And you knew that this Jesus was real. And until that happens, you're never, ever, we could try to become, we could try to make something great. And in, in the world, that's what you do. You go out and you get, make a name for yourself. You try to become something. You try to grow. You try to do. That's the world's way. God's way is low. It's hidden. You had to go out to see John the Baptist. If you wanted to be baptized and repent of your sins, you had to go out to him. And when you got to him, you had to go through some things in your mind and say, okay, this is God. This is God. The guy's eating locusts right now. This is God. You had to. You had to get out of your head. It says, in, and continuing in 1 Corinthians 1, chapter, I mean, chapter 1, verse 24, but to those called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, that means everybody, the whole world, anybody who turns to Christ, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. And this foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of humans, human plans. And God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strength. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose things the world considers 
foolish. So if you're here today, sorry, I'm gonna, I'll just point to myself. He's chosen a foolish thing. God choose, chose the things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. He takes those who say, I don't know. As soon as you think you don't know, you know nothing, right? You say, I don't know. And God says, perfect. And he says, and he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. And it says, verse 27, verse 28, God chose things despised, even despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. Even Jesus... It says in Isaiah 53, 2, that there was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. There was nothing beautiful or majestic. You'd think that God would have spent a little bit extra time on his son. And says, you aren't going to see him like that. There was nothing special on the outside. In Mark 3, they even accused him of doing his works through the power of Satan. Talk about coming against God's anointed. <laughs> We've heard that phrase. I mean, we're talking, this is the Son of God. And then in Matthew chapter 13, verse 54, it says... And he returned to Nazareth, his hometown. And when he taught there in the synagogue, everyone was amazed and said, where does he get this wisdom and power to do miracles? Then they scoffed. He's just the carpenter's son. And we know Mary, his mother. We know his brothers. We know his sisters live among us, verse 56. Where did he learn all these things? And they were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, do not be surprised when the world scoffs at you, when they call you names. If they're not calling you enough names... If you're too much like them, where there's nothing in them to scoff at, we are not of this world. We are foolish, and you will always be foolish. And what happens is, not to bring politics into this, but remember, in these, this transition, I remember, I'm not even saying what side I'm on or any, I don't, I don't care, but I remember all this news about the Republicans were so happy because they got, I mean, they had majority, and now they could have some power. And then what they did is they just kept not doing anything. It's not a Republican-Democratic thing. Here they could have stood up for what they believed, and I'm not telling you what to believe and what not to believe here today, but they had a chance to, 
And yet, and what they did is kept giving and giving and giving when instead they should have just stood their ground and been a fool. You're never going to gain respect from the other side. You could try to give to this world to try to gain some respect from, you'll never, as long as you proclaim Jesus Christ, you're never ever going to be looked at anything but a fool. You're never going to be cool enough, ever. You're never going to, as people say, the church should stop, should stop trying to imitate Hollywood and imitate rock bands because they do it much better. And it's so true. We don't need to worry about those things. We don't need to worry about being approved of by the world, being liked, being lifted up, your name being out there. Because if it is too out there, that's just, it's just a wake-up call. It is a, it is a warning for you just to dial back and say, am I truly serving Jesus? Because Jesus said, I'm going to let you in on a secret. I love you. I've given you power. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. But I have to tell you this too. They hate me. I can't believe it. I know it's shocking. All I want to do is love them. I'm going to lay down my life for them in a few hours. I'm about to be tried for nothing but they hate me. And because you want to proclaim my gospel, you're willing to do that, they're going to hate you too. We can't forget that Jesus said that. Now, does that mean that I'm on a mission for people to hate me? No. Do I need to go out and wear camel's hair on purpose? If we have access to normal clothes, we're going to wear it. Well, you may not call this normal, different generation styles here today. This is my normal. If we have access, we don't need to try to be weird. You will be weird automatically because you believe in Jesus. My own family, not my immediate, thank God, God got a hold of my whole immediate, but I've extended that just think, you know, come on, guys. Really? We believe in science. They're so scientific. We got it all figured out. Everything's perfect in their mind this date and this year and all this whatever. Garbage. That's the foolishness. That's why he says, Corinthians, even all your wisest concoctions of ideas are foolishness to God. You may be getting called names right now by being a believer, a Jesus freak. Bigot, that's a big one today. They call Jesus names, and they're going to call you names. Bigot, they love throwing that name around. It's like, especially certain candidates running, you know, get, they throw that at them. Bigot. Why? Because he has an opinion different than yours? That makes you a bigot now. Anyway, I'm not going to go there. You are going to get called names. You are going to be rejected. You are going to be pushed aside, they don't care about you. But there is someone who does. I'm not going to leave you. I'm not trying to grind you out of the dirt and leave you there. There is someone, though, who is bigger than all of it, greater than all of it, greater than the whole system. God chooses you in those low places, in your weakness, 
in accusations. Remember David? Remember the David that Jesus comes through? Remember the David that God can't stop talking about through this whole Bible? Remember the David who even did some atrocious things if we judged humanly? And yet God can't, just can't get enough of this guy, David. What is it? What is it about him? It says in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 1, The Lord said to Samuel, You have mourned long enough for Saul, and I've rejected him as king of Israel, so fill your flask with olive oil and go to Bethlehem and find a man named Jesse who lives there, for I have selected one of his sons to be my king. And in verse 6, it says, Samuel, he arrived, and he's looking at at his sons, looking and saying, okay, this guy, Eliab, I'm doing what you said, Lord. And, and as soon as he saw this guy, Eliab, he said, surely this is the Lord's anointed. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And it says, then he tells Abinadab, come in. He says, this has got to be the one. And then he says, in verse 9, Shemaiah, and he says, this has got to be the one. And the Lord says, no. And they go through all the sons. And then Samuel says, are these all the sons? And Jesse says, in verse 11, oh yeah, there is still one more. The youngest. Especially in this culture, you're talking about a Middle Eastern culture, the oldest, you know, he's got the inheritance. Every, he's got the name. The strength of his father and the strength of his name is in the oldest. And he starts working down the ranks. If it's not the oldest, it's got to be the second oldest. We, that's the way we look. That's the way we think. We think in the natural. And even his own father didn't think anything of him. He's just out there taking care of a few sheep. And he says, send for him at once. We will not sit down and eat until he arrives. And as soon as he gets there in verse 12, the Lord says, anoint him. This is the one. The same David, just a chapter over, some time goes by. Now he's a little bit older. He's been out there still with the sheep. God anointed him. And then we know the story. There's this guy that comes along named Goliath. A giant comes along an obstacle that needed to be faced that no one would face. It says that every day he just came out and taunted and no one would face, not Eliab, not the oldest brother. It says that his three oldest brothers went with Saul to fight, but you don't hear about them again standing up for their nation. But this little boy, this youngest, it says that his brother Eliab heard David asking. He's asking about, who is this guy? What's going on here? What is this? Why aren't you guys fighting him? And he says in verse 28, what are you doing here anyway? What about those few sheep 
you're supposed to be taking care of. I know about your pride and deceit. You just want to see the battle. And David, it get, the word gets to Saul, the king at the time, and that, that David is willing to fight, so they summon him. But as soon as Saul sees him, it says, it says in verse 33, don't be ridiculous. The world's going to tell you that. The world's going to tell you you're little, you're nobody. You believe in Jesus? You believe in Santa too? That's what the world thinks. They're going to say, you're ridiculous. Don't be ridiculous. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. They will tell you, you're never going to win. Okay, fine. You ever get this? Go ahead. Well, let's see them try. Let's see them do it. Let's see them go for it. God came here today to get a hold of you that don't look at your circumstances where you're at right now. Don't look at your life right now. Don't look at present. It doesn't matter. None of those things matter. Everything can be against you. You're only a boy. He's been a man of war since his youth. And we could go on. I won't for time. I said I was going to be quick and I'm not. In Judges, we just talked last week. I, I'm not going to read any of it. You guys remember? Gideon, another one. God comes and finds Gideon. He's hiding from the enemy. Hiding. That was the time they were in. Time of hiding. Again, another time like where somebody needs to stand up and pray. Somebody needs to be there for the people. And God comes and finds Gideon hiding. And he says, you mighty man, of war. Gideon's like, is there somebody else in here with me? I don't know who you're talking to. There was no account whatsoever of Gideon ever fighting anyone. Ever. But God looks at you differently. And then we're not going to re-preach last sermon, but what, remember what we said, he questions God. No way. It can't be. Where are you? Where's God? Puts out the fleece. Continues to question. He's in fear right until the last minute. God tells him, if you're afraid, go listen to the camp. Well, he goes and listens to the camp, telling us he was afraid right before. And then what did we say? At the end of all of it, they said, come be our king. Took a little nobody. Don't look at your life what the circumstances are around you. Don't look at what you've been called. and who, it's, it's our job as Christians. When the Lord asks you to be bold in your workplace, to be bold in your family, when it's time to rise up, you're going to be afraid as David was. You think that David wasn't afraid? We assume that all of a sudden he was filled with strength. No, he was afraid when he saw Goliath. He just decided, I don't care. I don't care that I'm afraid. I don't care that they think I'm young. I don't care what they say. I don't care they think I'm ridiculous. I don't care that I, at this point I haven't actually fought a man. I fought a bear and a lion. I don't care. I'm going to do something for God here. I just want to leave you with this thought. You, it's just one line I've just been getting for the last couple of days. 
you have no idea. If you remember one thing, just remember this line. You have no idea who you are. You have no idea what's in you. All that God needs is for you to believe him. And then as he starts to stir you to do, you don't look at your strength because you won't have it. Don't look at encouragement because you won't find it. You just believe the God who says he's God and you watch what he'll do in your life. That's it. This message is the whole Bible. It was people that decided not to believe because they looked through their eyes and said, this is crazy. This is ridiculous. You're foolish. And then there were the ones that said, I'll be a fool. I'm willing to be foolish. I'm willing to die because I believe. So I just wanted to encourage you today, each and every person in this church, in this group of no-namers, God can take you and make you something. He'll take the foolish. He takes the weak. He takes the Davids. He takes the Gideons. I mean, you could go on and on. The Josephs, the Moseses. I mean, all of them. Takes them and, and makes them. He does it. That's it. It's God. I just want to pray right now for you. Just, Lord, thank you for your word today. I thank you, Lord, for your heart here today. I thank you, Lord, even just one word for each person, Lord. It may be something completely different, but I thank you, Lord, you're gonna speak to them today through this word, gonna continue to speak through this word. We pray, Lord, that your presence that's here now, here with us, Lord, that it will continue with us into our week. We're gonna take you with us, Lord, out of this building because we are the church. We are your people. We thank you, Lord, that you look at little man, at little us, and you give us, Lord, life. You give us relationship with you. And then we, we don't deserve it, but you give us a task. You give us a purpose. And it is only in you. We cannot make it happen. And Lord, what we didn't get to here is that the other side, if we try to make it happen, it's always going to fail. We just look to you. We trust in you. We lean on you. And at the moment when we're weakest and least able, your strength fills us. I pray for your strength in this people, your strength for them, Lord. In each of their situations, Lord, I pray right now, Lord, they need, we need, Lord, an encounter with you. We need you to strengthen us. We feel, Lord, that what we have to do or what our life is or those that need to be saved, Lord, there's burdens around us. And we thank you, Lord, that it's not us anyway, that it's you. We just bring all that. We give it to you, Lord. We come in a place, Lord, of surrender and ask you to be God in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.